Welcome to the Grace Point Church Podcast. Here at GPC, we want you to know God, love people, and live sent. From wherever you're listening, we hope you're encouraged by this week's message. If you want to learn more about Grace Point, head over to gracepointchurch.net. And now, this week's message. Awesome, awesome. Y'all can be seated. Hey, before you're seated, actually stand up real quick, real quick. Aren't you, has anybody ever told you that you are flossom? Okay, you're flossom. Turn to somebody next to you and tell them they're flossom, okay? Right now. Find somebody and tell them they're flossom, and then you can be seated. Now, if you don't know what flossom is, I, I was on the Google, and if the Google is true, uh, then I now have a new word to add to my vocabulary. I was actually looking up... Uh, Beautifully perfect or perfectly and beautiful, uh, that the, of the, uh, just some ideas of what, what are some examples out there. And I ran across this word flossum and it actually has a meaning to it. So again, if it's on the Google and it has a definition to it, then probably it, it, it it's, uh, it's a legitimate word. So add it to your vocabulary. Here's what the definition that is. You can put it on a t-shirt, you can do it, a, put it on a tattoo or whatever, but here it is. Individual who embraces embraces their flaws and knows that they are still awesome. Now, that sounds like a lot of self-help talk right there, but the reality is that we are all flawed, okay? But it doesn't mean just because we're flawed that we're hopeless and helpless. In fact, God can do beautiful things through brokenness. He can redeem it. He can make it whole and right. In fact, just the reality that we live in an imperfect world and we're full of imperfect people, we just have to embrace that that's just the reality that we live in. If you are in the market for a diamond and you are uh, one of those guys that's ready to put a, a ring on it, okay, and make it legit and all that kind of stuff. If you're out looking for a diamond, I looked up what is a flawless diamond, all right? How much does a flawless diamond cost? And again, that's all obviously very subjective into what it is and, and so forth. But here's what, uh, according to gemologists, a flawless diamond is. You, you magnify it under, under a microscope 10 times its size. And if there are zero imperfections, zero inclusions in that diamond, then you have a perfect diamond. The problem with that is, according to this gemologist uh, blog that I read, that only 0.5 of the diamonds that we have, uh, that we have in our possession, if you will, only 0.5% of them are actually flawless diamonds. So here's the reality. You might be on, you're looking at your ring right now, be going, okay, I, how many flaws do I have in my diamond? But that's not what you thought when he put it on the, on the hand, right? You, you thought it was beautiful and awesome and wonderful because it said so much, even though it was not perfect. We live in a world of flossomeness, okay? We live in a world where there's lots of flaws and there's still beauty. And how can we find the beauty in the flaws? How can we look for them? Because I want to welcome you to beautifully imperfect, flossom Grace Point Church. Because as much as uh, your diamond is imperfect, as much as the person that you're married to is imperfect, as much as there's all these other imperfections out there, and if you want to focus on those, you can focus on those, or you can look for the beauty 
inside the imperfections. And I want to challenge you that any church that is out there is actually a situation where it has got flaws and it's got beauty all rolled up in one. Now, I realize in the day and age when every time I open up uh, the news, it seems like, not every time, but so often, there's another scandal, there's another fall, there's another something inside the church or around the church and maybe in parachurch organizations out there. It becomes a bit nauseating and it becomes very disorienting and, and I want to say that I'm with you. But what has happened in our culture today is that's resulted in a number of people deconstructing the church and wanting to to say the church is, is this broken thing. I'm going to run away from the church. I'm going to move away from the church and I'm just going to deconstruct it all out. But the problem with most deconstructionists is they never really rebuild it. I understand about deconstructing falsehoods, deconstructing brokenness, not covering it over and making light of something. But in reality, in all of the tearing down, we've got to rebuild. Because again, the church was not our idea. The church is God's idea, and he has given his mission to his church to carry it out. We talked about it last week, the whole idea of believing in a God that is a pillar and a buttress in our life. And we get to, as the church, hold that in our possession, First Timothy chapter 3. And then you go on and it talks about, yes, it's a place to belong. It's a place to become. That's what the church is. Beautifully imperfectic as we are. And if you want to find the flaws, they're there. Or you can look at that diamond and not look for the flaws and look at the beauty. Charles Spurgeon said it like this, The church is not perfect, but woe to the one who finds pleasure in pointing out her imperfections. If we look for the imperfections, if we point them out, if we make that our modus operandum, then we will certainly find them. And become that be our focus. What we've got to do as the church is we've got to figure out how to maximize the beauty and mitigate the imperfections. Welcome again to Grace Point, imperfect, imperfect, beautiful, yet also flossom church, because we're started a series last week on my church, beautifully imperfect that we are. And we want to understand it from God's perspective as, as his design for the church and his uh, aim for the church. And, and, and today we're going to talk about, and actually over the several weeks, we're going to talk about the leadership inside this imperfect, beautiful body, the church. And you go, oh man, I'm really excited to talk about church leadership. <laughs> I promise you it has very much relevance to your life. Because if, if you've been in church, and I realize that some of you haven't grown up in church or haven't been in church very long, but you probably have one or two or maybe both examples of what I want to ask you. I want you to think, first of all, of somebody in your life, a pastor, an elder, a deacon, a small group teacher, leader, Somebody in your life that stepped into your life at just the right time in your life to help give you counsel and guidance, to walk with you through a, through a difficult season, 
And you begin to understand the value of church leadership when you realize everything rises and falls on leadership. And that if you don't have good leaders in your small groups and good leaders in the pastorate and good leaders as your elders, if you don't have that, then all of a sudden you don't have a healthy church and therefore you might fit into the other camp. How many of y'all have had experience of church hurt from an elder, a deacon, a pastor, a small group leader? Or you know of somebody who has. Because of that, it's caused deep wounds. So you, you, when you come to the topic of church leadership, what we're talking about, when we're talking about minimizing the, 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 the imperfections and maximizing the beauty, what we want to do is make sure the leadership of our church is well and healthy and balanced in as many ways as we possibly can according to the scriptures. So you're taking your Bible and finding the book of Titus. Talked about it last week. We're doing a survey through past, the pastoral letters of Paul. First and second Timothy and Titus are three letters that Paul wrote specifically to pastors, Pastor Titus, Pastor Timothy. Titus is at Ephesus. Excuse me, uh, uh, Timothy is at Ephesus. Titus is pastoring a church on Crete the island of Crete. And as, as he's pastoring there, he'll actually end up pastoring there for about 34 years. And as he's pastoring there, he's building up the church. And at the same time, there's a structural element that comes into play. A structural element that's so important because structure does matter. Everything rises and falls on leadership. So if you've had a good experience in a church with leadership in the church, then it's probably because there was a healthy healthy structure involved. If there was an unhealthy environment or an unhealthy situation that you've gone through, then it could have been that there was an unhealthy structure. And sometimes you leave bruised and hurt, and sometimes you leave encouraged and stronger because of it. And the structure does matter. Again, we're going to be in Titus primarily in Acts today, but I want you to realize that when you read through these, and I've encouraged you last week, encourage you again this week, read through 1 Timothy, read through 2 Timothy, read through Titus multiple times. Make your own notes as you're going through there. But when you read 1 Timothy alone, you're going to find that absolutely structure matters and leadership matters. Because if you go to chapter 1, the very first chapter in 1 Timothy, he's going to talk about bad leadership or bad teachers or, or, or broken people who are leading the church. And you need to be aware of them. In chapter 2, he literally talks about how to pray for our governmental leaders and leadership matters at that level. But then it's also going to talk about women leadership in the church. I told you last week, I'm going to tell you exactly the date this week. On June 26th, Dr. Dotson from uh, Denver Seminary, who's the chair of uh, the New Testament department there, is going to come and talk on June 26th about women in ministry. So mark the dates if that's of, of interest to you. Hopefully it is. And it's going to talk about that difficult passage in 1 Timothy chapter 2. Chapter 3, he deals with the leadership of the church in taking, speaking of elders and deacons, specifically calls them out. Chapter 4, he deals, he admonishes young Pastor Timothy and how he is to be a pastor of example in the church. So you literally have all three of these very important roles there. Chapter 6, 
Skip over chapter 5, it deals with ministry. But chapter 6, again, comes back to talk about broken and bad leadership that creeps into the church and becomes a part of the church. So he begins with bad leadership, ends with bad leadership, warns us against both. And right in the middle, he tells us what good leadership looks like. Now, if it's important enough that five of the six chapters of 1 Timothy deal with leadership matters in the church, then we need to lean in on that. If we're going to study the whole, uh, the whole council of Scripture, then we need to lean in on that. But what you'll see when now I think you study the Scriptures is you see that leadership in the church is in kind of, if you think about it, like a triangle. First of all, you might think of a pastor. I'm standing up here as one of the pastors. I talked about Timothy being a pastor in, in Ephesus and Titus being a pastor in Crete. Again, he, uh, Paul writes Titus in, in, in the, the book of Titus in 62 AD. It's believed, Eusebius said that, Ti, uh, that Titus died in 96 AD. And so for that 34-year period, we have Titus pastoring the churches that are on the island of Crete. And you have Timothy for however long that he is at Ephesus. The, the, the pastor is the shepherding leader of the church. Everyone has a role, and we'll define each one of these roles, and we'll go into these. But it's not enough to have a pastor. It's not enough to have a shepherding leader. There's more at, at play here. Then there's also that we're going to see that when Paul would go out on his first missionary journey, in Iconium and Lystra, and those areas that they started their first church, he and Barnabas started their first churches in that area. What they did before they left those churches was they made sure there were elders at that church. Acts chapter 14, verse 23 is when they, when they had appointed elders from, uh, for them in every church with prayer and fasting. That brings me to the second leadership role in the church. And it's the servant leaders of the church, and that's the elders. And you think about every position has its role. Then you come, and we'll talk about that primarily today. Then next week, we're going to talk about deacons, who are the leading servants in the church. When you put these together, these fit together in a healthy manner. And I want to encourage you that to, to, to just think through these in three distinct questions that we're going to ask as we talk about each of these roles of leadership in the church. Now, this doesn't need to be just head knowledge because there's nothing about an elder, there's nothing about a deacon, there's nothing about a pastor that those, two, uh, those three roles are not overlapping. And there's nothing about them that doesn't apply to you. Everything about the lifestyle, the qualifications, the manner in which they live and serve and work for the Lord is actually an example for you and I to follow. It's an example for all of us to, to live it out in our life. So let this bar be not a bar for some super saint out there in the heavens, but let this be a bar for all of us as we serve in our local church. I'm going to ask the why, the who, and the what over the next, th uh, over the next several messages as we unpack these, these, these different roles inside the church. The three questions, I want to talk about the elders. So why elders? Uh, and, and, then, and then we're going to talk about uh, who, who, who can be an elder. And then we're going to talk about what is an elder to do. Real quickly here, let's jump in the why. Why, be, why are the elders important? Well, elders have been in Scripture all the way back at least to Moses. 
Moses, if you kind of look at Moses as kind of the, the, the first prototype pastor of God's people. He surely shepherded them out of Egyptian bondage, shepherded them through the wilderness. For 40 years, he's pastoring these complainer containers, uh, and he's trying to get them into the promised land. So he was a pastor shepherding his people into the promised land. He would hear from God. He would pass that message on. There's no doubt that Moses was a shepherd of the people. The problem is, is Moses whether by default or by, by, by the people, wanted Moses to do it all. Moses was doing it all. And in Exodus chapter 18, it's worth a read yourself. Exodus 18, finally Jethro, his father-in-law, steps on the scene and says, hey, you're killing yourself. You need to have elders. You need to have help. And he literally breaks it down. And you can, again, read it for yourself, but I want you to see this, is that a shepherd, myself as pastor, the other pastors that we have, is not enough. We need elders to help make up the body. Whenever you look in, in, in the Old Testament, there's 180 times that the word elder is used. A third of those times, it's referring to an elderly person. Two-thirds of the time, it's referring to a person in a position of authority, of governance, of, uh, of even a judicial branch. Those are the elders that we see also emulated, brought over into the New Testament. They're governing. They're overseeing. They're making hard decisions in difficult times. They're making joyous decisions, hopefully moving the ball forward and down the field. What what do elders bring? Elders bring order, okay? They should bring order to the church. So take your Bibles and look at Titus with me. Titus chapter 1, verse 5, and you get the exact context of what Paul is doing with Pastor Titus encouraging him to do in the church that the church would be a healthy church. This is why I left you in Crete so that you might put what remained into order. There's a structure. Again, I said structure is important. There's a structure. There's an order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. You've got a job and these elders are going to come to help make this happen. And you're going to help make this happen as you appoint them. These elders are going to help bring order to the church. Chaos, confusion ought not be a part of the church. There should be order about the church. It's also a elders bring oversight to the church. When you look at Timothy's writing in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1, the saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, this is where he gives the elder qualifications. The office of overseer, he desires a noble task. So literally, an overseer, an elder, is a person who is overseeing, governing the body of the church. And notice this, it is a noble task. One, it's a good, noble thing, okay? But it's also task, it's work. In fact, one of the, the the Greek word here is the word for work, where literally you work, and there, there's a job to do, there's tasks to be done. It's noble, it's good, it's not going to be easy. Whenever you think about 
Grace Point, and on January the 5th, we're going to have our annual strategy meeting. And so if you haven't signed up for that, what we do is we come all, in fact, this year, all the adults are going to be in the room together at 910. We're going to have uh, all the kids' activities going on, classes, preschool, all that kind of stuff still going to be happening. But we're going to all come together as a family this year, and we're going to try this because we're talking about my church. We're going to bring everyone together. We're going to talk about what God has done. We're going to look forward to what God is doing. And then we're going to go out and we're going to celebrate with food and just hanging out together. It's going to be a a great time. But here's the deal. We need to know who's coming, how many people are coming, so that we can make sure we have enough food because we haven't figured out how to multiply the bread yet. All right, so if you can make us do that, then we'll make sure we have food for you uh, on that day. So please be sure and let us know. And you can just text in and, and sign up that way. But let me also say this. For the past nine months, Again, given a lot, a lot of backstory here today. For the last nine months, myself, our navigators, which is four of our pastors on our, kind of our executive team, um, and our deacons have been spending for the last nine months working through the scriptures, talking, talking to other churches about elders, because here's the reality. Our church doesn't have the elder role. Okay, if I can illustrate it with this oblong stool, we've had pastors and we've had deacons. And if you try to sit on that stool, it's not going to work. You got to have at least three legs on a stool. You probably need four or five sometimes, but you need at least three legs. So Lori, if you can give me another leg. If you think about to that triangle illustration, What we have done as a church since the founding and the beginning of our church is we've kind of been doing this. So the deacons and the pastor, myself, we have been trying to do it all. This doesn't work, okay? It won't work, and especially as we go, we've got to add another leg. So what we are going to be bringing to you in the near future is the fact that we need deacons. We need, which by the way, we're going to talk about deaconesses next week. Uh, We're going to talk about elders and we also need pastors. And how those fit together and work together will create a stable, longer, more enduring, balancing work in the church. If you want your church to be healthy and you want to love your church and work out the the imperfections and work into, then we need to make sure that we are in a healthy manner on that, balanced and sustainable. So we, we, we know what the what is. We also need to know what the who the who is. Who is to be elders, okay? Let me say this. When you read through Titus and you read through Timothy and you read through 1 Peter chapter 5, here's just a life principle for you. In church leadership, character matters the most. You might have skills and you might have talents and you might be really good at doing a lot of really good things, but what matters more than anything is character. Whenever you look at the scriptures, you're going to find a whole list of, 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 of qualifications that are mentioned in Titus and in 1 Timothy. I want you to see this long list of, uh, of, of qualifications. And I, we could take time and talk about every single one of those. What we have done in our 
hours and hours and hours as deacons and navigators and, 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 and myself all coming together is we've taken those and we've put them down to 16 qualifiers. We've married some of them together. We've looked for common ground and we brought them down so that these would be what we are looking for in an elder role. And if you look up there, if there's anything that you need to see at the top of both lists, and it's the top of Timothy's and it's the top of Titus's list. And not only Titus mentions it once, he mentions it twice. So he elevates it again and again and again. It's above reproach. It's above reproach. Not perfect, but there's no unconfessed, unrepentant of sin that's carrying through, that, that's ongoing in that person's life. And so if I was to just kind of put it like this again, looking at that, I was trying to find common ground, trying to, trying to narrow those down, you might think of leadership in the terms of concentric circles, okay? What, what does character, how does this character flesh itself out? Well, I want you to look at the inner circle as the family circle. Because it's going to talk about managing your household well qualifies you to manage the house of God. It talks about being a one-woman man. It talks about having children who love the Lord as well. There's a whole combination package there that when you look at the character of an elder, you need to see that their family sees them, walks with them, walks with the Lord, walks in the faith with, with them in the Lord, that there's a, a common ground. See, the family tells us really what's going on. We can be on the outside one thing, but on the inside, inside the four walls of our family, it is a greater story to tell. But then there's also the others circle. These are the ones that experience you on a day-to-day basis. And if you look at that list, and we're not going to go back to that list, but you look at it and you study it this week and you read through it this week, you're going to find phrases like hospitable. How welcoming are they into your life? You're going to find words like, this person isn't quarrelsome. Well, I'll say more about that in a minute. Self-control, violent with their words. They're not punching holes in walls, but neither are they punching holes in hearts. There's There's an element about them that those who know them the best love and respect them the most. What do others feel? about you. Outsiders, what do others outside the church say about you? Look look at what Paul said in 1 Timothy 3. He said, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that they may not fall into disgrace. I literally heard of one church. I only know of one church, but I think it's a pretty bold move that before you could become an elder of that church, the elder body would write a reference letter, ask for a reference letter from that person's supervisor on the job, whether they were a believer or not. They wanted to know on those people outside the church circles, outside the church world, what do other people outside say about this person? It's one thing to have the appearance that you have character but what does the family say about that? What, does, what do others around you say about that? What do outsiders say about that? Character matters the most. There's a statement that I heard from um, when I was 18 or 19 years old, and it just has burned in my brain. I've reminded myself when times I've veered off course, I've reminded myself to get me on back on course, and it's just, it reminds me that, 
my charisma, my skill, my abilities. They may be good. I have talents. You have talents. But here's the statement. Your abilities may take you. Your talents may take you where your character can't keep you. This is why character matters most. What does your character say about who you are? Your reputation is what men and women think about us. Your character is what God knows about us. What does your character say about you? And let me just say this. Where does character begin? It begins in a personal relationship with Jesus. You don't have that. You're not going to do, you're not going to get that laundry list and fix yourself. It's going to take you and the Lord being in a relationship. So what is an elder? What is an elder? It talks about in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 5, it says, the elders are to care for the church. The elders are to care for the church. Take your Bibles and flip now over to Acts chapter 20. So you read the letters of Paul and you get the prescriptive. This is how we are to do it. But when you read the narratives, you get the descriptive. This is how they did it. Okay, in Acts chapter 20, beginning in verse 17. Now, remind you, Paul has just spent three years with the, with the church at Ephesus before he hands it off to Timothy. Three years with them. And in verse uh, chapter 20, verse 17, it says, and now from Miletus, he sent for, uh, to Ephesus and he called the elders of the church to come to him. Basically, they had an elder retreat. Paul calls the elders together, which is about 80 kilometers south of Ephesus. So it's a day's walk. They meet Paul at Miletus and they set for a retreat. The very first thing he does in the next verses, and I'm not going to read them, but in the next verses of that retreat, uh, verse 18 and following, he tells how he invested in the church how he was committed to the church and how he served the church. But what he does next is he gives a challenge to the elders. What is an elder to do? Here's what an elder is to do. When you look at the text, you see, first of all, an elder is to lead under the authority of Christ. Okay, the elder is to lead under the authority of Christ. Look at verse 28. He tells the elders, Paul's challenging the elders, Pay careful attention to yourselves and to the flock for which the Holy Spirit has made you overseer to care for the church of God. That is the first thing that an elder is to do is to look at the church of God and to realize that this is God's church, not their church. This is God's church, which he obtained with his own blood. I want to say that to say this. As most of you know that Lori and I 21 years ago started this church, but it's not our church. It's not our church. I didn't die for it. Jesus died for the church. He owns the church. I serve under him. The elders serve under the authority of Christ. Number two, they care for the body of Christ. They care for the body of Christ. Now, I will say this. When you read 1 Timothy, when you read 2 Timothy, when you read Titus, you're going to find, as I've already pointed out, that there's a lot of issues inside the church. There's a lot of quarrels inside the church. 
there's a lot of fighting inside the church. I know we're imperfect, we're broken, but there's still some beauty in there. What Paul is going to do is he's going to coach Titus and Timothy on how to deal with the dissenters, the dividers, the deceivers inside the church. See, the fear of the outside the church is not what bothers me, where the world is going, what's happening in government. My greatest fear is that the church inside out becomes toxic. We don't need to be toxic in here. And so what Paul does is he deals with them and he uses the word quarrels again and again. There are certain people that just cause quarrels. In chapter 2, verse 2, uh, chapter 2, uh, 2 Timothy, verse 23, he talks about those who breed quarrels, breed them. They literally start them. First, Second Timothy chapter 2, verse 24 says, the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome. The reality is that you've got to sometimes deal with dissenters, dividers, and deceivers. You've got to deal with them. Titus was told this by Paul. If people are causing divisions among you, give a first and a second warning after that, have nothing to do with them. Out of the three letters that Paul wrote to the pastors, pastoral letters, 11 different times, does he use the word quarrels or quarrelsome? He's constantly having to deal with it and address it inside the church. Now, in Acts chapter 20, what is he, where does he go with it? In Acts chapter 20, in verse 29, it says this, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. We've got to notice that. We've got to deal with quarrelsome people who cause division inside the church. Fierce wolves will come in. What are we going to do with them? And from among your own selves will rise men speaking twisted things that draw away the disciples after them. So we have a warning. We have a calling as elders, to make sure that we are caring for the church, leading the church under Christ's authority, caring for the body of Christ. But number three, we are investing fully in the bride of Christ. When you look at Paul's example to us in verse 24, back when he's talking about himself, he says, I do not account my life as my own value, nor as precious to myself. If only I may finish the course in the ministry that I received from the Lord. Does, do you hear anything about Paul there that says, I'm just going to dial this in? I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna mail it in. I'm just gonna, I'm just going to make this my job. Not at all. It was his life. It was, it was the way he lived. He goes on in verse 35, says, showing the hard work of the ministry that working in the ministry is hard. You go into chapter uh, verse 31 and you find this, therefore be alert remembering that three years I did not cease night and day to admonish you with tears. He invested his time, he invested his emotions. I tell young pastors, as I would tell any elder, being an elder, being a pastor is not a nine to five job. It's not, how can I 
package it all in because here's what ministry is. Ministry is dealing with lives. And if you ever noticed about a crisis, a crisis doesn't come from nine to five and then everything else is peaceful. Crisis comes at any given hour. The quality of a church is based on its leadership. And you wanna make sure that we have a three-legged stool, that we have not just pastors and deacons doing all the work of it, that we have elders in our church. And we're gonna be proposing to you by the, I wish we could do it by strategy meeting, but we're not ready. Proposing to you by the end of July that we will add elders into the, the constitution of our church. Because we think that that is a healthier, a more whole model for us. I, uh, I had a time it went since being at Grace Point when Lori and I uh, kind of woke up to a reality that uh, Jordan, our daughter, who's in the room right now, um, was sick. And we, we didn't have answers. We literally tried, I think, every doctor in Northwest Arkansas, at least a category of that doctor. We went to neurologists, psychologists, general family practitioners, surgeons. We could not get an answer. Finally, they referred us up to Mayo and we got answers. She had like something that was that only about three to 4% of, of people get and she had it. And that's what was draining the life out of her. Here's your problem, but we don't have a solution. That's never a fun thing to hear as a parent. Here's a problem, but there's no solution. And it was in that time that we were all caught up and I'm a fixer and I'm like focusing on that. Lori's all in focusing on him. But it was was during that season that our deacons, elders, if you will, said, hey, Mike, I want you to bring, Dr. James was one of the doctors. Uh, it was one of our deacons at that time. We want you to bring your family. We want you to bring Jordan in. And we want to pray over her. Why do they do, say, why do, they do that? Because one of the roles of an elder is that very thing. One of the ministry roles of an elder. Here's this verse up on, on the screen. James chapter 5, verse 14. If anyone among you is sick, let him call on the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Now, I have to say, I was a little, I was a little embarrassed and a little bit of lack of faith myself because I thought, yes, an elder has reached out to me and a deacon has reached out to me and asked if we would do this and we will do this because how can I not do this? But I don't know that my faith was there. But we got in that room and all the deacons got around her and laid hands on her and we anointed her with oil and we prayed and we prayed fervently. And I'm glad to tell you today, and we believe in miracles, but we trust in Jesus, that Jordan is 100% well today, not because of medicines, although medicine's great when it works, prescribed properly, but I actually believe it's because of healing. And I'm so grateful that we had elders, deacons at that time, who said, Mike, bring your daughter in so we can pray over her. Ministry of the church. So when, you, when, you, when I asked you that question earlier, who's a, who's a deacon, who's a pastor, who's made an impact in your life for the good? Dr. Matt James, when he called me on that day, 
made an impact in my life. The deacons praying made an impact in my life. It would be one of the high water marks of being a parent and praying over your children. So what I, I want to ask you, who is that one, that deacon, that pastor, that teacher, that small group leader that has made an impact in your life? How can you show love and appreciation to them? Would you bow your heads with me? What does this, what does this mean? What does this do for us? We're, listen, we need to pray for our church. We need to pray for our community. We need to pray for one another. That we are a healthy church. We're not perfect, and I don't pretend to be, and none of us pretend to be. But I am grateful that we are a beautiful church that God is using. And I want it to stay that way. And one of the ways we stay that way is having the right men leading at that level. Would you pray about what God might do, say, work in our church in this season? Father, you are building our lives. And we need godly men and women in our life, setting the bar, living at a standard higher than us so that we will rise to walk with you, rise to serve you, rise to look more and more like you, God. Would you in this space and time, Lord, speak to our hearts as you build our lives to look more and more like you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Grace Point Church Podcast. To stay up to date on all things GPC, follow us at Grace Point NWA on Facebook or Instagram. As you go, be people who show and share Jesus in everyday conversations with everyday people. Live Sent.